I'm Dietrich Hunter, and this is Curate Curiosity. So what you just heard was the sound of a train. On my trip to Paris this time, I went team no Uber. Since I wasn't going to be splitting the cost with anybody as a solo traveler, I decided that I was not going to do the hop on hop off bus, which is kind of highway robbery anyway, but I definitely wasn't going to be doing any Ubers, avoiding all the surge prices due to the Rugby World Cup. So I really focused on using the train to and from the airport and the sounds of the train were interesting, exciting, and at times a little scary, not going to lie. But I only did the train and I do not regret it. The top things that I experienced on the train were number one, it was at least as connected as London. It was super, super intricate. The map and the connections and the transfers were seamless. The late night supervision was also clutch. Uh, people were going over to Trocadero just like me, and there were plenty of cops and plenty of other locals there to kind of guide us along our way and make sure that everyone was on their P's and Q's. And the last thing is they got packed. So I'll get to that a little bit later, but everyone uses the train. So when in Paris, do as the Parisians do, right? Hop on a train, packed or not packed later not late and make the most of it because you're going to see some sights and sounds that definitely catch your attention uh, and apart from that it's going to be way cheaper the ride is about two bucks if you go with single ride passes i would suggest starting your trip um, with a pass as well as doing some single rides from the airport if you plan on taking the train from the airport there's a couple things you should know number one you'll probably be headed to Gare du nord just to get linked with all of the metro stops. After you get linked with the metro stops there, you'll be able to transfer to a number of trains that'll take you in the right direction. If you're not on one of those lines though, make sure you're on your P's and Q's because the trains get super full and you could easily be headed in the wrong direction or potentially put yourself in a sketchy situation while you're holding all your bags. So my advice would be to hop on Waze or Google Maps before and map out your trip so that you know exactly what those stops are. I had service because my phone allows me to do so and I was fine kind of rolling the dice a little bit and asking for help. So it worked out, I was traveling light, but if you're traveling with bags, I'd suggest you have things a little more ironed out before you hop off your plane. <laughs> For me in Paris, this time the generator was my home base and I would give it a 9.99 out of 10. There's only one reason that I'll get to later why this wouldn't be a full 10 out of 10. But top three things about this place is a safe and clean space, right? So the hostel is pretty immaculate. It's set up in a really smooth, swanky way. The entry is inviting, but it feels really secure. There's like a bar space in the back. So if you're the kind of people who 
kind of want to go out but don't want to like really venture out or you're with a group of people, there's so many options just under the same roof. Other thing is events. So they did a bunch of random events for the Rugby World Cup. They also have weekly events that they do on the rooftop bar, which has a beautiful view of Momar. So from doing the rugby events to having trivia and setting up time to do some karaoke all in my hostel, I think it's really hard not to go with this space as one to consider. Last thing is the location. So obviously it's clean and safe. Tons to do inside the hostel, but the location is in the 10th arrondissement, which means it's near the Canal St. Martin, which I'll get to later, and it's right off of the two line of the metro. So you can get to pretty much anything you need to, as well as there's a ton to do in the neighborhood. So again, only reason that this is not a 10 out of 10 is because the Terrace Bar has some hours that don't allow you to access it at any time. I really love a hostel or any kind of stay where I can go up and use the terrace to work by day and play by night, and that just wasn't possible here. So because of that, I'm gonna ding a fraction of a point. But overall, the generator was incredible. I would definitely stay there again. I would recommend it to anyone going into Paris, and it's a great, clean, pretty awesome option when you think about hostels. So as far as bites, there were two places that I got to eat that really stood out to me. Number one, it's called Golden Food. It was a clutch bite that was right next to my hostel, just like right across the rotunda over near Generator. So it was in the 10th arrondissement, classic fried food. They had gyros. They had all types of late night bites to satisfy you and to kind of pad the lining as you pre-gamed or to take care of you on your way back to your hotel or hostel after uh, having a couple cold ones or cocktails. So this spot was good. Uh, it was very reasonable. The price was definitely a $1 sign type of spot and the service was great. Um, everything can be made into a combo because that's the world we live in and the portions were solid. So the, the service was really, really strong. They were super friendly. And even though my French was lacking, they worked with me, no problem. And um, yeah, they even were curious about where I was coming from, because obviously they're across the street from a pretty huge hostel. They see people from all over the world. But again, golden food. If you're staying at Generator, it's open late. It's a great option. They do cash or card and you won't be sorry. So another major eat that I got to experience this time in Paris was La Durie. I actually went to the Paris Royale location, which was the first one for this mega famous pastry house. So La Durie is a luxury French pastry house. It was kind of born on Rue Royale in Paris, right? In that Madeleine area, kind of downtown. It became pretty recognized and kind of like a international institution over the last couple hundred years. So this place opened in 1862 and it's kind of been recognized as the standard for macaroons. They have been producing these and they invented this idea of a tea room in France. So they 
are kind of these bastions of culture. They really drive the narrative around macaroons for a lot of people because they've been around for a long time. They are all over the world and they make beautiful products. So not only is the food good, not only was the service incredible, but the space was beautiful. So because this was an older spot, this was really easy to get connected in and to feel at home because everything is planned to a T, even down to your ability to choose your macaroons at the end. They have them in these display cases. It feels like you're almost stepping back in time and you're able to really get a taste of the culture as well as a taste of where this dessert was born. The pastries that they have really kind of speak to this really traditional old Paris vibe. And the cool thing though, is that if you're not in Paris, you can still experience their work. Now they expand the map. They're in London, they're in Miami, they're in Toronto, they're in Beverly Hills, they're kind of all over the place. And La Durie, again, is the first macaroon that I've had. So it's crazy to be kind of stepping into the game at the top because now I'm kind of nervous that if I try like a Mariano's macaroon or something random, I'm going to be a little kind of like skeptical that it's even the same thing. But I got to chill in their space for quite a while. I also had a beautiful lunch. I had this special. They had like kind of like a chicken pot pie special that was a bit deconstructed. And the gravy was just insane. Every bit of the sides were also great. And I got some drinks to refresh me just off to the side. As I actually sat down, there was a cardinal or a bishop or somebody from the church who came in and sat down who looked like he was kind of on his Sunday routine because it was a Sunday. So I shared the space with some locals, a variety of people. There was like a bachelorette happening up there. There was what looked to be like a first date right next to me. And then in walks the priest or cardinal. So it was kind of a cool vibe, kind of a cross section of culture and what I think of when I think of Paris. And since I hadn't been there before, I was like, let's go, right? Let's give it a try. So I was super duper excited to to be there. Even though I was rolling solo, I called in uh, to, to show what it was like in there and also just to kind of experience and soak it up together. So Really, really incredible first macaroons for me at La Durie. And if I'm ever in Beverly Hills or hopefully Toronto, I'm definitely going to pop in and get a bite. Everything I had there was delicious. And the service, again, made sense, right? It was one of those moments of, wow, this is just almost how it feels everything should be. Now, out of my full time in Paris, I was expecting to experience a lot of things. I wasn't sure beyond the match or beyond the rugby village what I would experience. But as I did a last minute search, I stumbled on a handful of restaurants and bars just to kind of make sure I had some runway and options once I touched down. I did not know that I would have the experience that I had at one special place. And that space is 
La Reciclerie. This place is incredible. I know I say that a lot, but this place is a showstopper. So let me just set the scene. Number one is located on the Ford line in the 18th arrondissement. So they have a ton of things. And overall, this is a rehabilitated train station. It used to be the Petite Centure train station back in 2014. They renovated it and they made it this kind of like experimental space where they would raise awareness and kind of move and mobilize the public to think of alternatives for both food and other aspects of sustainability in a society. But they really wanted to focus on keeping this space guilt-free and driven by curiosity. This space is a repurposed garden space that just is everything that I have in mind when I think sustainability and style, right? It's a repurposed train station that uses the platforms of that train station as hanging and extra space for gardens. So they have compost, they have chickens, they have ducks in the back, they have all of these different things happening in what used to be a a old train space, right? So I was just blown away. I feel as soon as I saw it, I knew I needed to get involved. So they have a program. It's like a garden build day. It's called Chantier uh, Potaguer. I'm trying. I hope that they hear this because the whole time I was there, I tried to speak some French, but they really, really worked with me because most of them stuck with their French and, and, and we found a way to communicate. But man, it was really hard. So they have a free program every Friday from 1 to 4. Again, it's called Chantier Apodaguer, something like that. Uh, but basically, it's just garden build days. So you go and you participate in a work project. So I love working outside. It really, really reminded me of some things that I do here back in the States and a couple places that I visited. And I'm sure like the UEC in Milwaukee, does something similar where they have people come out and participate in work projects, but it was cool to do this in France, even cooler to do this in one of the biggest cities in the world because it felt like we were somewhere else for the time that I was there. Their impact is huge, and I'll link some things that kind of show some of their sponsors to let you know the, the size of their footprint, but in a real way, I just felt different, right? Like it was crazy to go in, get my hands dirty. And, you know, it just really stuck with me. This experience was incredible. When I saw this place, I realized that it was a repurposed garden space that fit my mental picture for sustainability and style. Obviously, growing is my jam. And I just feel different with my hands in the dirt. And when I'm around old buildings with character that kind of just lingers, right, with the life of what was there before, and what's currently there being discovered and how it's repurposed. This place was just incredible because of also it's intentional and rustic design. The concept was great, but the execution was almost better. This is an ideal multi-use environment, right? Even on their website, they talk about how their restaurant feeds the ability for them to provide education, grow food, and host programs like the one I participated in. This is an ideal space for co-working and the vibes that come with that, as well as their outdoor classroom that are all kind of tacked on the back end of this restaurant with plenty, plenty, plenty of options for private events as well. It's like not polished, but perfectly executed. 
the final thing, aside from the overall concept and that intentional rustic design, is the people. Even without being able to speak French, most of the people at La Reciclerie still made me feel right at home and wanted me to get involved. It felt so cool to see that invitation so consistently um, and to be included in their operation. The time we spent together didn't end with the work project. So just to give you a little peek behind the curtain while we were together, we were painting a fence, actually sealing a fence from their upper gardens to their lower gardens. So they had some space um, on a trail kind of elevated above where they have some outdoor seating and workspace. And what we were doing is sealing a fence that they had recently installed. So putting it with some polyurethane, making sure that it stood up against any weather that was headed in their direction. And yeah, that the life of the fence would be preserved. Well, at the end of our time doing that for a few hours in 90, 95 degree heat, we weren't done. I thought that, you know, all right, it's all over. I've done work with Habitat and other organizations where when it's done, great time, great job, high five, thanks for coming. You can put your stuff here. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. It was not that kind of vibe. It was true European fashion. At the end of our time, they said, all right, well, now we take some time together. Let's find a table here and sit down for a drink. So we sat down for a drink. They have a ton of fresh juices on the menu. So there were some that were brought in um, by some of the participants who were members of this space, as well as a few that we got from the bar. And we just vibed. We heard about other people's life history. One lady was not from Spain, but her family had come from Spain. So when she heard that we had lived in Madrid, her and I began to speak Spanish, even though she was born in Paris, French at heart. Because of her mother, she knew Spanish fluently. So it was cool. And she even kind of got moved in our time together because she doesn't really get to speak her Spanish, I guess, as often as she'd like to. So it was cool for us to connect over that. And very cool for me to have somebody to talk to um, in a language that I could fully understand and be fully understood as well. Um, But it was really, really, really wild to see the level of participation in the community. People participated um, to maintain the space because they believe in the work, right? And they enjoy the higher quality of organic food because at the end of the time, if I would have had a kitchen or if I would live in Paris, which obviously I want to now after I've gone to La Reciclerie, I'd be able to work there on every Friday and kind of walk out with just a handful of small, organic, locally grown fruit and vegetables. And I think that that is a beautiful community And they also are there for building community with each other. They have this space as a weekly check-in and they share their lives with each other and even with visitors like me. La Reciclerie has to join your itinerary if you're headed to Paris. If you've been to Paris a million times, if you are into gardening, if you're not, if you just want a good bite or you want a spot to stop and do a little bit of work, this won't disappoint support their mission, support their work, and get curious about other sides of Paris beyond the monuments. The main reason that I was in Paris, though, was not La Reciclerie. The main reason was another R, rugby right? Alela Blue, right? So they were crushing it. It was an incredible time. 
whoever organized this really, really knows festivals, really knows logistics. There were so many pieces that fit perfectly from the rugby village to the match that I attended. Only downsides were small and everything still worked out, so I have zero complaints. Three favorite parts of the full experience on the rugby village and match side. Hard to capture it in three, but I'm going to try. First off, people and vibes. Everyone was 100% positive 100% of the time. There was this like common sense of everyone loving every moment. And that made people ready to connect, dance together, talk, take pics together. People that never met each other and will probably never see each other again. It's almost like this was the highlight of everyone's week or fall, so no one was trying to ruin that. I loved that part. The fact that there wasn't this tense air or this need to insulate ourselves from each other. Everyone felt like they knew each other and they acted that way too. And of course, I made a couple of fast friends for the day. Number two, the shop. So there was a huge place to buy all of this memorabilia and souvenirs. The amount of products and the price points made souvenir shopping super duper easy. And it was dope to see all that gear lined up. It was crazy to see like all of the scarves, all of the jerseys, which were crazy expensive. A few different types of balls. A lot of gear that was geared towards the Webb Ellis Cup, which actually was one of the crown crowning parts of this whole experience. There was a station as you entered where you could take a picture with the Web Ellis Cup. So I have a few of those that I'll drop in the show notes, and some of those are already on Instagram. But it was just incredible, right, to spend money on things that you know are quality as well as to have some souvenirs from this incredible time just felt right. And again, they weren't gouging you. There were things at everyone's budget and at a lot of sizes, which is why I didn't buy a ball there is because I was backpacking in, right? So to get it home, I didn't want to try to deflate it and fit it. So I'm going to have to grab a replica ball some other time. That was my like number one purchase when I was thinking about buying something, but overall, everything that I did walk away with, I was happy with. No buyer's remorse here, and it was a great experience asking questions and just simply interacting with other guests and the host of the space to see what was there. Most of it was just kind of touching and playing with things and understanding uh, what I could buy online after I got out of there. The last thing I'll say um, is the players. So I was lucky enough to be in the fourth row as the Aussies won and really trounced the Georgians, right? And then at the very end, it was pretty awesome. I got to take some pictures. So it was wild, mate. I got to see Fraser McGrate, open side flanker, and Rob Leota, two Massive people, just incredible players, just really, really put in a lot of good work this day against the Georgians, trounced him, just just sent him packing, uh, thinking about their lives. So it was really, really good to be an Aussie for a day. And uh, yeah, I'll think about about joining their club and, 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 and understand a little bit more about what they have to offer on the Wallabies. So it was cool sitting down with <laughs> a bunch of the uh, Wallaby fans, I mean, I threw around random accents and stuff that time, too, as we were drinking beers together and hanging out and just listening to each other. So I had a lot of fun um, just really connecting with people and 
it was crazy that some of the people that I got to connect with and take pictures with were players. <laughs> so I, I don't know how that worked out. Shout out to the guy who was like, knew everyone's name on their team and just kept yelling their names until they came over and took pictures with us. Um, there was a handful of girls there that I'm sure motivated uh, those guys getting closer um, to our section, but we had a great time even after the match. So real big shout out to the, the Aussies. I know that they're not having the tournament that they wanted to have. You guys are from quality clubs and the selection that you have right now is one that is being as successful as it can be because you're giving it your all. And as you grow as a team, I'm sure that all those things will come together and hopefully give you all a great opportunity and a shot at the cup. So really, really dope. And I thank the Aussie players for, for hopping in. They didn't have to, but they definitely made our day. Two more experiences that I just want to hit really fast before I kind of get into my missed opportunities were Canal St. Martin and this spot called Bizart. So Canal St. Martin is kind of, for me, something that was underexpressed before I got there. It was on the guide for the hostel, and I'd seen that in a couple of other kind of like bar mentions, but I thought that they were just trying to kind of pump up their bar by mentioning a general attraction. The coolest part of our neighborhood was this canal. This place was full of restaurants, there were clubs, there was a movie theater on both sides of the canal, which is wild. Uh, there was a boardwalk with paths and kind of like beautiful bridges crossing the area. And there was even some outdoor activities that you could tap into. There was like a kayak spot, a put-in, as well as a place uh, for storage, right? Local, looked like it was semi-municipal. And then a ton of bike rental and bike repair spots up and down the canal. So you could really have a quality experience just in our neighborhood. I can't stress that enough that Canal St. Martin offered you a really strong opportunity at connecting with Parisian culture, life as a Parisian, and just simply being plugged in right out your front door. So if you were going to get an Airbnb, I would say the 10th or the 9th arrondissement. Um, I think that there, it butts up against another one that, that's kind of escaping me right now. But I would say for sure, Canal St. Martin is a sweet, safe area that deserves your attention if you're looking to relocate, you know, do some remote work, or go for a long weekend and stay a generator. Because I think that this place really surprised me, but it's one that I see why people mention in this neighborhood. Last thing I'll say is Bizarre. I think that's how it's said. It's a bar. So this was a bar slash restaurant um, that's kind of edges up on a club. I, I use that word club with like a lowercase c because it really doesn't have a club vibe, right? It's not like a discotheca, like all lights off, um, strobe lights and lasers on. There was no fog used in the making of this film, right? It just didn't happen. So the reality is that this spot um, was one that I was using as a pregame. I had a handful of bars that I'll get to later in my missed connections or missed opportunities that I really thought would be awesome to visit. But with everything that I was doing, I used Bizarre as my pregame operation. It is a cash entry for the cover, so make sure you come with some euros in your pocket. But it turned into a full night. It was that fun. 
couple things to note. Number one, I enjoyed the DJ. So the DJ was really doing overtime. He had everything from R&B to funk to oldies and a ton of world music. So it was pretty cool to see just the band of options as far as music is concerned because I think a lot of people come to this spot just for a late night drink or a quick bite on the evening before maybe going home or going to somewhere a little bit more amped but for sure a transparent environment with a ton a ton a ton of jams so it felt like the selection was and this might be off-putting for some people but at my age and in 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 my circles this is something that I think some people can appreciate it really felt like being it felt like being at a really fun wedding right with a paid bar that was basically the vibe. The age range was super wide. There were people who were probably early 20s all the way up to people like full silver foxes, like gray hair, no hair, right? And lights were on, right? So you could see everybody. It wasn't like the classic old guy in the like rave situation who's trying to like get up on people, right? There was a huge, again, variety of music. And yeah, there was not that tinge of like clubbiness, right? There was a very connected, routine, regulars, like everyone who I talked to seemed to have talked to or know someone else who was there who they didn't show up with. It's almost as if like these guys were like on a softball club together, but instead of doing softball, they come out and they dance on the weekends. So people really came to dance. That's a huge bit. And people came to do dinner. So there were a huge half of the people were just there people watching. And the other half of the people were there to move. So the dance floor isn't huge. So it feels like, you know, the space is full. There is like a little stage area that people kind of get up on when there's not an actual concert in the space. And people use every inch of that dance floor. So nothing to frown at. Bizart was great. And again, I think that if you're going for a real strong like R&B experience, like soul, funk, oldies with some world music right there was some like stuff from Jordan some Lebanese music there was some stuff from North and Central Africa like it was a eclectic experience and also I'll plug this too it was definitely a a very Latino and a very black space so there were tons 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 a lot of people all of them still from Paris still French people but it seemed like if you were young you were a young black professional this is a spot that people win if they weren't trying to go to a club, but they wanted to dance, right? Same thing for a group of Latino people that I connected with as well, right? There was just a strong aspect of representation, a strong aspect of connection, of community, of safety, and of boogie. People were moving, right? So I And I love that because coming from Chicago, it's hard sometimes not knowing where you're stepping into, but that's why I stayed. This place was a vibe and I'd go again. So check out Bizarre. It is not for everyone, but again, compare your expectations to this description and see if that's for you. The last thing I want to hop into is some missed opportunities. With a city as big as Paris, there's no way you could do it all. So there were some things that I discovered along the way, as well as some things that I initially had planned that they'll have to wait for next time. First on that list is Climbing District. 
Climbing District is a beautiful string of climbing gyms throughout the city of Paris with five locations and two of those locations are co-working locations. I stumbled on one, you guessed it, in the 10th arrondissement area right near my hostel just less than a mile away. And next time when I'm there, I will for sure, for sure be tapping into at least one of those locations for work and for play. More to come on Climbing District, hopefully in a future episode. I think that their work with North Face and their connection to climbing, yoga, and co-working are three things that just make them a strong trifecta for a hot visit when I'm there for the Olympics. Next, there's two bars over in the Bastille area, which, quick plug again for Climbing District, just put in one more chapter over in the Bastille neighborhood. These two bars or clubs are Bada Boom and Pachamama. I'm not going to really stick on these too much because I really want to save my review beyond the hype. I do read Google reviews and I do see how often a place gets reviewed to see how much I would like to go there, but I really don't read them in a sense to understand or mediate my experience outside of seeing if the space is open, relevant, and fun. So Bada Boom as well as Pachamama. I hope that next time I'm there for the Olympics, I can slide in and hopefully see a couple Olympians while I'm dancing my face off inside of those two establishments. But for now, they'll have to wait till next time. I chose these because they are, again, located in an area that I don't know well. Next time, if I can, I'd love to stay near or travel to Bastille a bunch more. But Pachimama is super famous. I've heard of this from half of the people that I've talked to who have been to Paris as a club worth seeing. One final miss, not necessarily missed opportunity, was the train. I know I said at the top of the episode that I took the train on purpose and I was team no Uber this time, right? But when you're going to an event, the train gets super mega full. So they cut off certain train stops to make sure that events don't cause all kinds of mayhem, right? So at the Rugby Village, there were one or two locations that the train just didn't stop because they knew people would be either getting on or getting off with such frequency that it would cause problems. So they've thought ahead. They said, no, you stop here or here to try to alleviate that centralizing bottleneck of people. But you can't really do that on a moving train. On the way to the stadium, that train was so packed that there were like two or three fights. I'm pretty sure, unfortunately, it was locals interacting with people who were headed to the match. The hardest part is that you're face-to-face, leg-to-leg, butt-to-butt, or butt-to-other stuff, right, while you're on these trains. It is impossible not to touch other people. It is impossible not to bump into someone, and some people were just unreasonable. Both on the getting on the train side, I saw people jumping into other people. I saw people throwing their bodies into the train, as well as people being upset that someone stepped on or touched their foot. So I think it's necessary for everybody to bring the temperature down, which is hard to do on the train also because many of them do not have air conditioning. You're waiting on the train to move to send some air in, but At the same time, those windows can be as open as they want to be. With the train that full, everybody's sweating. So that was the only miss. I think the next time I go to Paris, I'll still be team no Uber with one caveat is if I'm headed to a super popular event. Because if I'm headed to an event, 
I know that that train might get unreasonable, and there were many, many people who I'm sure were late to our match because they were later on the train line. So just to protect the tickets that I purchase, I'll likely take an Uber or some other way to get to those super hot spots when I'm traveling back to Paris for the Olympics. So I want to leave you with one final sound from my time in Paris. This was my last night in Trocadero. I pulled up to the end of a long, beautiful trip, and I bumped into an artist at a sing-along. This is Paolo Arson singing songs at Trocadero, giving us a strong moonlight serenade to close out this episode and to close out my trip. Such an unforgettable spot since you can look out across the city, straight at the Eiffel Tower from where we were all hanging out. Thanks again, Paolo. Thank you, Paris. I'll see you again soon. I'm Dietrich Hunter, and this has been Curate Curiosity. Follow us at Curate Curiosity on Instagram and wherever you listen to podcasts.